We turn in God's Word to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. For those of you who are visiting with us this morning, we've been on a series of messages in the morning dealing with uh, the characters of Advent. Uh, we have one more in this series, thanks to uh, a member of the congregation who alerted uh, my attention to it. So next Lord's Day, uh, we'll be looking at uh, another character we often miss in uh, the Advent story of the coming of Jesus Christ. So we'll continue that series. In the evening, we're in the book of Hebrews, and we'll be continuing that tonight as we look at uh, Christ as our supreme high priest. And we gather uh, this evening as well at the Lord's table Pretty fitting, I think, uh, considering this past year to end the year with God's means of grace. Uh, not only uh, thinking and reflecting upon how he has blessed us throughout this past year, but uh, looking to him and to him alone for the strength of the year that lies ahead as well. This morning, however, Matthew chapter 2, the characters of Advent, the Magi. Matthew chapter 2. Beginning to read at verse 1, let us hear then the breathed out word of God to us this morning. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and asserted from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and went into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country, by another way. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow our heads in prayer and ask for God's blessing upon it. Our Heavenly Father, in this uh, season of giving, we thank you for the greatest gift that you have given to us, your son. We ask that you'll be with Pastor Bob as he explains this part of scripture to us. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. As we look at this text this morning, three things for us to consider, three main points. First of all, the timing of their visit, secondly, the purpose of their visit, and thirdly, the meaning of their visit. 
So the timing, the purpose, and the meaning. So first of all, let's, let's cover a few things that are told us here in this passage regarding the timing. Those of you who have been members of Little Farms for long periods of time uh, probably know where this is going uh, because we've, we've dealt with this on previous occasions, so I don't, I don't want to uh, take a long time with this, but to uh, go back over it once again, even as we did with the shepherds last Lord's Day, and let me just uh, mention as well, because of our unique situation last Lord's Day, um, I don't often say go back and listen to the sermon if you missed it, but you really need to. In this day and age, with the rewriting of history that we are experiencing, we as Christians need to be very careful in making sure that we are historically accurate as well. Not just in terms of uh, the, the, what has happened in the United States, but particularly that which happens in God's Word. And we can't get sloppy and uh, let Hallmark or let carols become the means by which we interpret Scripture. We have to let Scripture be our, gu our guide, and here too as well. Uh, as I have said on many occasions, the wise men were not there at the same time as the shepherds. Scripture is clear, and to portray it as such is not biblical. It's not truthful. It's not honest. It's not right. And so we, you know, I know there were years past when we were doing Bethlehem Alive and we finally decided, yeah, the, the wise men don't belong in this scene. That uh, some people were upset. How could we not have wise men at the manger? Because they weren't, quite simply. How do we know that? The text tells us. Let me show you or demonstrate from Scripture, five things to indicate that. First of all, note verse 1, the now after. It's not now when Jesus was born. If Scripture wanted to present to us the fact that these wise men occur or come at the time of the shepherds, at the evening of Jesus' birth, Scripture would have told us that. Scripture would have said, now when... Jesus was born at the time Jesus was born, but it doesn't. It says, now after, and the phrase means a period of time after which Jesus was born. After Jesus had been born, there is a period of time before the wise men make their appearance. Secondly, note verse 2. They say, when they come to Jerusalem, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. We saw his star when it rose. Now, what's the understanding of that? Well, the wise men themselves give us the understanding, don't they? That the idea is that when Jesus was born, they saw his star. They do not see it now. The, the idea that they followed the star all the way from the east is not what the text tells us. 
The text tells us they don't see the star again until they leave Jerusalem. They saw it. They saw it rise when Jesus was born. They get the general direction. They head in that direction. When they get to Jerusalem, they ask, where is he to be born? If the star was still there, why do they need to stop? If the star is still guiding them, why do they stop in Jerusalem and ask, where is he going to be born? The star would have been there. But you see, the star is not there. The star rose at the time of Jesus' birth. They have now traveled somewhere from the east. The shortest estimate is six weeks of travel. They have arrived at Jerusalem. The star is no longer there. They ask, where is this? They find out it's in Bethlehem. They set off on the journey, and what happens? The star appears again, and they rejoice. Why are they so happy with the star appearing again if it's always been there? So we know from the phrase, when his star rose, that was at the birth of Jesus. They've now traveled from the east to Jerusalem. They have stopped at Jerusalem. They have inquired at Jerusalem. There had to be a search of the scriptures. That answer comes back. Now they travel from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Not the night of Jesus' birth. No shepherds coming in from their fields abiding. A time has lagged. Third. Note when we come to verse 11, what you are told. And going into the house. Now they don't go into a stable. They don't go into a manger. They don't even go into the tower. Michael Edgar, where we know Jesus was born. They They don't go there. They go into the house. The family has moved. They're no longer in their previous circumstance and situation. Changes have been made. Adaptations have come because of now this child. They are now living in a house in Bethlehem. Certainly not the same night. Fourth, verse 11. When they came into the house, they saw the baby. It doesn't tell you that, does it? The text says... They saw the child. And the word that is used here means a child under training. We would never use that expression for a baby, would we? We wouldn't say a baby is under training. We would say that that means there's some age to this child. This child has has reached a stage where it's under the ability to be trained. By its parent. That's the word. That's what the text tells you. If it was a baby, Luke 2 would have used the term baby, as it does. Because the shepherds are there when Jesus is born. He's a baby. When the wise men come, he is a child. And lastly... If we look at Herod's decree, if we put it together in verse 7, 
he finds out when the star had appeared. So he wants to know, what was the date when you first saw that star? What month, what day of the month was it? Now once again, it's an obvious reminder of the point I've made before. He doesn't need to inquire about this star if the thing is still hanging over Jerusalem, shining. Nobody needs to inquire. All they need to go outside is follow the star. All the wise men need to do is go, see, it's that star there. Let's go follow it where it is. But it's not there. So when did you see this thing? What does he then do? If we go down to verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under. Now why two years old and under? Why does he do that? Is he just making some general sweep? And we know Herod is exceptionally cruel. We'll get to that in a minute. But you also have to be a little cautious. You have to be a little careful in your cruelty. Why two years old? What does the text tell you? The text tells you that the reason he chooses two years is because it's according to the time that he had found out from the wise men. The wise men had given him the information. We saw his star on such and such a date. Herod calculates out what that would be, and in his general sweep of destruction of these males, children of Bethlehem, he established it as two years. If it's the night of Jesus' birth, he would not have to go to the extreme of the two years. He could have covered it by six months. Everybody under six months. But you see, he's calculating the time of the travel that the wise men took when they told him they saw the star. It's an important, historical, Right? God is a historical God. Right? The, the fact of the resurrection as a historical event. The fact of the cross as a historical event. The fact of the exodus as a historical event. The fact of the flood as a historical event. The fact of creation as a historical event. That's what God is telling us. It's important that we get the history right. Because when we understand the history correctly, we understand what God's meaning and purpose is behind this all. The timing of their visit. Secondly, the purpose of their visit. Well, for the wise men, the purpose is clearly stated. Right? Verse 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. That's their stated purpose. 
That is the reason they have come. It's the reason they have come all the way from wherever they reside in the east, whether it be Persia, whether it be India, some even think perhaps as far as China or Japan, as mind-boggling as that may be. But their purpose, their stated purpose, is to worship. Now this is Scripture's word. We have come to worship. Come to adore. Come to glorify. Come to honor. Come to proclaim. Come to testify. Come to acknowledge. This king. We have come to worship. But they not only state it. They show it. They demonstrate it, don't they? Go with me down to verse 12. Excuse me. Verse 11. And when they came into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down. They demonstrate the fact that they worship. How they fell down. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? We're too dignified. We're Western. Even that, some of us are Dutch. Oh, no, no. We, we have to be much more reserved. Tonight I submit to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, that perhaps one of the reasons that this whole passage occurs is to demonstrate to us what true worship is all about. They fell down. There is no pride. There's no look at me. There's no, I'm a big wise man guy. And you ought to be satisfied with the fact that I've come to see you, Jesus. Oftentimes, that's what worship today has become. That somehow we, we've gotten the idea in the evangelical world and realm that, that God ought to be happy we've shown up. Man, do you know what we could have been doing, God, today? Do you know the other things we could have been engaged in? You ought to be really happy I'm in church this morning, God. They fell down. They kneeled, they bowed, they prostrate themselves. They come into the presence of the holy. And they worship. Praises come. The acknowledgement comes. The honor comes. Because you can really only understand the glory of God. 
your faces to the ground in humility. These wise men, these magi, these men who were probably very prominent, they're obviously very wealthy. These men of scholarly minds. They're not sitting there stroking their beards, puffing on their pipes, going, well, let us, let us analyze this child whose presence we have come into. They're down on the ground, worshiping. Glorifying, praising the one who is the king. Third, they present, verse 11 tells us, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. I want you to underline, if you're in the process of underlining the word there. These are not token gifts from their country. This is not somebody said, hey, here's a collection. Take it up, take it over to that new king. This is their treasure. This is their gift. This is coming from their heart. They are presenting that which is theirs to give to the king. Sidebar. We have a president who wants to give you $2,000. We have a Congress who wants to give you $600. It's their gift. It's not their gift. It's not their money. You're just giving it to yourself. Actually, you're not giving it to yourself, are you? Look down the row. Look at your children. Thank them. They're the ones who are going to be giving it to you because they're the ones who are going to be paying for it. Oh, no, that's not quite right. Look at those little children in the front row. Look at those babies in the nursery. Look at the list of our pregnant mothers. They're the ones giving you that money. It's going to be off their back. You know what? I think I got a thing for you to do. When you get the check, put it in a savings deposit. Mark for your grandchild. Because they're going to need it to pay the bill. But how often aren't we that way? We don't really give our treasures. We, we want honor. Well, look what I gave to the church. Or look at the donation I gave. All that we have comes from the Lord. These men are not presenting governmental taxes that have been collected and now presented. They're giving from their heart. They're giving from their soul. And it's costly. You've probably heard sermons on the cost of the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh of that day and age. These are these are gifts 
that, that in our imaginations, we, can, we cannot fully comprehend the cost that is going on here. I think give them, does Jesus need them? Jesus doesn't need these gifts. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He doesn't need them. This is their act of worship. See, they don't calculate out the situation and go, well, you know, I'm going to withhold my gift because I think Jesus probably has enough and I'll take my gift and I'll divvy it out to some other people. No, it belongs. It belongs to Christ. Because it's his. And they're giving out of that which they have been given out of their heart. Flows the abundance of the gift they present to Christ. When, when we're giving and we're number crunching, that's not giving. That's not giving. We're supposed to give in a way that our right hand doesn't know what our left hand is doing. It's not supposed to be calculated. Hey, I need a little more tax deduction. I'll think I'll make this check just a little bit bigger. It's the last Sunday of the year, you know. It's out of their heart. It is an act of worship. An act of understanding who God is who Christ is. The purpose of their visit was to worship. And that purpose they do indeed fulfill. But for Jerusalem and for Herod, this is a troubling visit. Go back to verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Let's deal with Jerusalem first. Why is Jerusalem troubled? A king? Oh, man. How's Rome going to respond to this news? When Rome hears we've got a new king born, what are they going to do? What cruelties are they going to come in? What, what penalty are we as Jewish people going to need to pay for this one? How's Herod going to respond? They already know his cruelty. He's already finished off a number of his own family members. What's he going to do now? What's he going to do to us? How's he going to treat us? How come we don't know? How come these Gentile people are showing up and they know the information and we don't? They're troubled. What's going on? What's happening? Herod, probably beyond the troubling is there's the threatening. Another king? Let me be careful and gather all the information I need. We already know what Herod plans to do. We see that plan in the verses 16 and beyond. He's going to get rid of the competition. This is what Herod always does. Anybody looks at him crossways, he gets rid of him. New king, attracting attention. I got to get rid of this one before Rome even finds out. I can't give him the opportunity 
to grow and be raised. I'll slaughter him as a child. See, the purpose of their visit from the wise men perspective is to worship. But you see what their purpose does? Their, their coming stirs within Jerusalem something that has been quiet and settled. And it stirs an angry. It stirs a hatred. That's where we'll go next Lord's Day morning, the Lord willing. Who's stirred to anger in all of this? We can never really understand the full depth of the advent of the coming of Jesus Christ until we understand the opposition. We understand the true threat that the opposition here feels. Thirdly, this morning, is there something more? Is, is there, okay, we, the timing... That's the historical part, the purpose. That's the stated that we have here. But what's the meaning? Why, why does God bring wise men from the east? Why does God do it by the means of a star, by the means of a light? What, why does God use that? What's God doing in bringing these men from afar? Well, first of all, it's a fulfillment of prophecy. Even if we stick to the book of Isaiah. And let me, let's just go through it. Isaiah chapter 40. Start there with me. If you have your scriptures open. Isaiah chapter 40. And just follow sort of the theme that we're going to be on here in the book of Isaiah. These wise men coming... To worship Christ by means of a light. Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Don't fall for this thing that it's Saturn and whatever else up in the sky getting together at a certain time of year, and that's the star of Bethlehem. Okay? That isn't what happened. This is not the alignment of planets. God knows the difference between a planet and a star, and he would have told us. This is what he created. This is the glory of the Lord. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. It's going to be seen throughout the world. Wise men coming from the east. The extent of the world sees God's glory coming. But it gets more defined. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 42. Verse 5, Isaiah 42, 5. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it. 
who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison who sat in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I give my glory to none other, nor my praise to carve idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. A light for the nations. Turn with me to Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49. Verse 6, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. See the fulfilling of prophecy that is going on? See the nations coming to the light? Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60, those opening verses, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Listen to Luke chapter 2, old Simeon there in the temple the day that Jesus is, is presented. Hear his words as well. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all the people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. And for glory to your people Israel. A light of revelation. Why does God bring wise men from the east? By the means of a light, a star? Because that's what he said he was going to do. It is a fulfillment of God's promise. It's why this, this event needs to be looked at. We need to understand it. We need to understand it in its historical timing. We need to understand the purpose these men have come. But we need to understand God's working here. For the coming of Christ is not a Jewish event. The coming of Christ is a worldwide event. It is a universal event. It is a creation event. It is an event by which God is testifying to the faithfulness of all the promises that he brings to us in Christ. But their visit is also a reminder. It's a reminder of our purpose as well. You and I have been called out of darkness 
into his marvelous light. That we, that we like wise men, might declare the glory of our God. That we might worship. If all Christmas elicits from you is, oh, that's so sweet. If all Christmas brings to you is, oh, that's so lovely. If all Christmas does is remind you, oh, God's so loving. God is so gracious. If, that all, if that's all that the coming of Jesus brings, you have missed the point. The purpose of Christ coming into this world as a babe You and I would worship Him. That we will declare His glory among the nations. That we will not hide, that we will not cover up, that we will not be ashamed, but that we will fall down and worship the one who is indeed the King of Kings. I didn't know Olivia was going to play it, but how fitting, correct, that we think about the reign of Christ forever and ever and ever. Christmas ought to draw from us worship, but secondly, obedience. And being warned by God, they departed by another way. They do not go back to Herod. They obey. Do you realize by doing so, they've signed a death warrant upon themselves? What does the next verse tell us? Herod is furious. If he could have got his hands upon these wise men, he would have destroyed them. Obedience to the one who is the king. Demands our heart, our soul, our mind, our all. Even our lives. And obedience so intense. So purposeful. That we will die. Rather than surrender to the opposition. Their coming is a reminder of your purpose, of my purpose in life. Of why you're here. Of why we exist. We don't know what next year will bring. But we know who brings next year. And he's the king. And as long as God gives us breath, we shall worship him. And we shall follow him. We shall obey him. Not just here. But that breath 
of the breath of life for all of eternity, forever and ever and ever. And all God's people say, Father, again, we thank you. Thank you for including in your word this visit of the wise men falling down, worshiping, presenting their gifts, living obediently before you. Thank you. May it encourage us, may it strengthen us, may it draw us out of our doldrums so that we live in this day, in this age, as wise men of old. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.